You're listening to the British Ballers, a fantasy football astronauts podcast. Before we begin the show today, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Expand the Box Score the number one sports statistics database on the internet. Expand the Box Score provides all the advanced data, stats, and production metrics to give you the edge in fantasy, dynasty, and DFS. We highly recommend heading over to expandtheboxscore.com and signing up today. Use our promo code ASTRO10 for a 10% discount on the subscription, making this an absolute steal. We'll now begin the show. Welcome to another episode of the British Bowlers podcast. My name's Rich. You can follow me on Twitter at FFMiz1. Just before we start the show today, just want to let our listeners know to keep an eye out on the British Ballers Twitter feed this week at British underscore Ballers for, for some potential big news for the future of the British Ballers. Uh, with me today is my co-host as always, Kev White. You can follow him on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Goat. Kev, hello. Hey there. That was a very enthusiastic response. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying to be a bit more enthusiastic. Uh, thank you. <laughs> it's actually good to have you back, Rich. Obviously, oh, wasn't yeah. here on the last pod, so um, cheers for turning up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're lucky, to be fair, you know, because I, I was in the middle of a DraftKings, um, a DraftKings best ball draft just before this. I'm absolutely obsessed, by the way. I've done about 16 of them this week. Impressive, isn't it? I think I'm not. I'm not to 16, but it's pretty addictive. Yeah, definitely. But I would say, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, I cannot express enough to people not to join one of the DraftKings slow drafts because they are horrific. I started one on Wednesday, I think it was, when uh, DraftKings went live with Best Ball, and I think we're in round five, and it's Sunday. Wow. I think it's a little bit. Um, I was talking to some people yesterday about. It. I think it's because when you're in a redraft league or a home league and you do a slow draft, you sort of know everyone in there. Yeah, so yeah. you sort of feel some accountability, but no one knows each other in there. So it's just like a free-for-all. People get bored after two rounds and just just leave it. Instead, they could just put it on auto-draft, but they don't even bother doing that. So Yeah, you can, be awful. you can be awful when there's no repercussions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's good for us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Kev, you looking forward to the show today? Do you know what, Rich? Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say no. <laughs> So uh, I'll move on with that. Uh, Kev's tried to throw me off, done his best to throw me off. So today uh, we've got another fantastic guest. We are welcoming Mitch Sorensen, co-host of the Dynasty Theory podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at DinoMC. Mitch, thanks very much for coming on the British Ballers. Thanks for having me, guys. Don't worry, Kev. I, John gives me the same crap on our show. Like, he'll be like, hey, how's it going? And be like, good. <laughs> He's like, that's all you got? Yep, that's about it. But no, I can honestly say this is probably the first podcast I've ever done where I'm drinking coffee and not beer. It's, it's really weird for me. So, you know, we'll see how this goes. And I was telling the guys before the show started that if it sounds like construction's happening next to me, it's because construction is actually happening next to me. They're building a house. 
Normally they don't do it Sunday mornings, but you know, here we are. You know, I think that's that's grounds to complain to someone. No one should be doing any sort of construct. What time is it there, Mitch? It's eight o'clock. That's such a British question, by the way, to ask someone <laughs> what time it is there. Yeah, that's ridiculous. My, my, in fact, I better talk a bit, a little bit quieter because I think my neighbours in the garden is an idiot. But he uh, he get he gets the lawnmower out. I don't know if it's called a lawnmower. <laughs> yeah. He gets the lawnmower out about eight o'clock on a on a Saturday morning, and that's infuriating. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. If he's listening to this, it's very unlikely. You're an idiot. Uh, so today, um, I mentioned at the top of the show about uh, some exciting news for British ballers. As well as that, this is going to be our last dynasty show of the year as we move into focusing on redraft and potentially best ball in DFS, though I would warn you that me and Kev are terrible at that, so I wouldn't listen to anything that we have to say. Um, obviously, I'm joking, but uh, today's show, the last dynasty show, we're looking at career years. So today we're looking at players that Mitch is predicting to have the best fantasy season of their career in the upcoming 2020 NFL season. So through the spring, Mitch and his co-hosts at the Dynasty Theory podcast, John Bauer, who we've also had on the show previously, built some fantastic projections and Mitch will be sharing those with us today. Uh, obviously, these are guys that we feel are great projections for the 2020 season and we'll be discussing if these projections would fall in line with rankings and selecting these guys in your redraft leagues as we are in the midst of redraft season right now. So, Mitch, do you want to take us straight in? We're going to start at the quarterback position with the players that you feel are going to have career years in 2020. Yeah, definitely. I should probably start this off saying that our projections are very conservative. What we did is we went in and we looked at the total plays ran over the last three years, and then we looked at the pass-to-run ratio, the how the coordinators run the offense, who the quarterbacks like to throw to. So there was a lot of background that went into this, but we wanted to make sure that we weren't just giving every player their ceiling because it doesn't help anybody out if we do that. So although these numbers might look a little bit lower compared to other projections out there, they're just where we feel that given an average year, you know, we're not projecting for injuries at all. If this guy plays 16 games, he should easily be able to hit this mark. Mm. And the first guy that I'm going to talk about is Daniel Jones, because I love Daniel Jones. I love him for redraft and I love him for dynasty. Because a big thing with what we want for quarterbacks right now is we want the rushing floor and we want the passing ceiling. And with Daniel Jones, we have both of that. So last year, he only played in 13 games and he had three games with at least four combined touchdowns and not many quarterbacks actually had that last year. So last year he had uh, 226 overall fantasy points. We have him coming at about 257, which would give him quarterback 16. But like I said, I really think that's his floor moving forward. The giants have a really bad defense and they're playing in the NFC East to where they have to play the boys. They have to play the Eagles. And so those shootouts should happen a ton. And the only thing that happened to Jones last year was he lost a ton of fumbles. And it wasn't like he was just fumbling a lot. He lost 11 last year. And when that happens, I mean, it just kills drives. And so if he could back down on that just a little bit, I think the sky's the limit for him. And he's the guy that I'm telling everybody moving forward that if you're in a dynasty league, you want a quarterback who is going to jump up everybody's draft boards next year, it's going to be Daniel Jones. Yeah, I completely agree on this one. Um, I I mean, I'll, I'll ask you in a second, Mitch, because obviously we're looking at the projections. So I, I think we mentioned at the top of the show, looking at how these how these would compare to your redraft rankings and things like that. The only worry for me with, with Daniel Jones is obviously the brutal early schedule. So 
you've got the Steelers, Bears, 49ers and the Rams straight off the bat. Would that affect your where you take Daniel Jones at all? To me, it wouldn't. And that's really only because of what we're seeing this year. Any previous year, I would say, yeah, yeah. especially in redraft, I probably wouldn't take him. But this year, who knows who's going to be on the field, <laughs> you know, starting for the Steelers. Like, yeah. we just have no idea. And so basing, you know, right now, I want talent. And I want that rushing floor. And even against really good defenses, he's still going to give you that rushing floor. Yeah. And I mean, unless it's a league that really is really brutal in terms of uh, interceptions or fumbles and things mm -hmm. like that. For example, the, the Scott Fishbowl, where it's four points per interception. It's somewhere where I avoid Daniel Jones. But in a standard league, I, I don't think that I would be too worried about that early schedule. And uh, he's got all his weapons back healthy. So he'll have Saquon Barkley, Evan Engram, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard. So coming to you on that, Kev, are you on, the, on board with Daniel Jones? Yeah, I think for me, with the uh, with redraft, you mentioned the, the tough early season schedule. Um, that would probably put me off drafting him initially, but I will be looking to add him as a, a priority waiver guy after those first five weeks, just because in, in your 1QB redraft leagues, there's, there's tons of options. There's probably 20, 25 guys you can start. So I think you can you can sort of pick and choose who you want to, to roll with those first four or five weeks. Um, obviously, if you've got 10 bench spots, then, yeah, you, you can probably roster two QBs. And, um, I mean, look, looking a bit further into the season, Daniel Jones has got a fantastic schedule after yeah, those first yeah. four. Um, Is it the Cowboys he's got after? And I think Mitch mentioned that's going to be yeah. just a shootout because the, the Cowboys defence doesn't project to be very good either. Yeah, the NFC East defence, as like Mitch said, uh, they're, they're terrible, to be honest. Um <laughs> I think um, with, with Jones, I'm a little bit cooler in, in dynasty than seasonal just because uh, sophomore QBs can be a little bit dangerous, thinking uh, like you, you drew Locke, um, uh, guys like that. But but Jones did do really well in his rookie season. I think I was probably a little bit harsh on him earlier on in the offseason. Yeah, um, coming in week three as a, as a rookie probably wasn't expected. It was meant to be Eli's team probably mm -hmm. later on in the season, if not the full season. So... He did really well for for um, for what he put on the field, and I think as well, what's really important for your QB and redraft is that you have the ceiling. Yeah. And he posted two of the top ten weeks at QB in 2019, so we know that the ceiling is there uh, yeah. with the with the rushing. And if he can tidy up those fumbles, like Mitch said, then um, he's going to be a weapon. And if if he can prove it this season, that's going to shoot up his value in your dynasty leagues as well. Yeah, and I think he had, I mean, you mentioned the ceiling, Kev. I think you've nailed it there. Um, I think he had, and look at this. This is me getting some best ball talking here already. Is I think he had He had over 30 points on DraftKings around three weeks, which I think is, is phenomenal for a rookie player. So I think we're all in agreement on this one. So, Mitch, where, when you talk about the projections, and I know you said you were mm -hmm. cheating a little bit with Daniel Jones. So yeah. in terms of fantasy points, where do you have him projected for this year? So we have him coming in as quarterback 16 at 257 overall points. And that's because we kept him on the low end because he still wasn't accurate last year, even though going into the league, we thought he was going to be a pretty accurate quarterback. 
So we only have him at a 36, or sorry, 63% completion. And it ends up only giving him, you know, a little bit under 4,000 yards. Yeah. But with how bad, like you guys mentioned, this defense can be, him getting over 4,000 yards is easily in his range of outcomes. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, if the guys are staying healthy around him, that's something else is he didn't play one game last season with all of his playmakers, you know, with Ingram, Saquon, Tate, Shepard. Like they were never on the field at yeah. the same time. So yeah. they could just have five games with that this is going to be a great offense to watch yeah i, I completely agree with you so if we move on to can we keep the run going and agree again <laughs> do you want to give us your second quarterback niche right it, i mean this is like i don't even like teddy bridgewater as a quarterback <laughs> really i mean you look at me like he's all right and for the saints you know he had a couple of good games last year but he still wasn't you know really good they won all the games and that's kind of what matters for the nfl but Going into it, like the Carolina Panthers are just a fun team to project because so ESPN actually came out with a stat yesterday talking about their defense. And they're going to be the youngest defense since 2010 with an average age of like 23 and a half years old. Wow. Yeah. And I was reading theathletic.com this morning and they rank them as the worst defense. They actually rank the Giants as the second worst defense. In the <laughs> And so when you see this, you're like, all right, that's what I want to hear as a fantasy owner. Like, yeah. I want a horrible defense. And, I mean, if I could just have a Blake Bortles-type quarterback in there, I'm, I'm completely okay having him. Yeah, I but agree. Teddy Bridgewater's previous best season was only 200 points. We have him coming at, in at quarterback 24 with 228 points. And although that number isn't really high, the main reason is – Outside of Christian McCaffrey, they don't have the big touchdown guy. DJ Moore, I mean, six touchdowns on the year is probably his ceiling. Yeah. Same with Curtis Samuel. Robbie Anderson's the same. So maybe Ian Thomas could come in and be the big tight end, big touchdown guy for him. But right now we have to keep his um, touchdowns a little bit lower solely for that reason. But everything else, he has Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. He has, you know, Joe Brady and Matt Rule. So this offense moving forward could be really good. So this might be a guy, especially in redraft, you probably don't want to draft him. But come week three, week four, see how it is, and then pick him up off the waiver wire before everybody else is going to do it. Yeah, I, again, agree. Um, and there's not much I can add to that. Um, so I'm going to come to you, Kev. This is someone that I've tilted on. So that'll, that'll support your joke, Kev, that I flip-flop constantly on players. So... Uh, I have come around on Teddy Bridgewater. So last year he played in five games for the Saints. And you don't, if he'd have played a full season, he was on pace for 4,000 yards, 29 touchdowns, six interceptions. As we've mentioned, he's got great weapons. So Christy McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, breakout candidate Ian Thomas. Uh, shout out to Dynasty Island who ripped me last week on his podcast for, <laughs> for that one. And because of that, I'm spiting him. I refuse to mention Robbie Anderson. Um, but on a serious note, yeah, he's, he's got the weapons there. And also it surprised me when I was, when I obviously looked at the show sheet and saw Teddy Bridgewater on there, that the Panthers actually had 663 pass attempts last year. Um, then you bring in Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator, obviously worked miracles with Joe Burrow at LSU, taking him from the guy that lost out to, that lost his job to Dwayne Haskins, as you love to talk about, Kev. Uh, to being obviously the, the runaway Heisman winner. So th there's not much more I can add there. I, I expect Teddy Bridgewater to be very good this season, at least in fantasy terms, especially when you look at that defense. They are going to have to throw the ball a lot. So, Kev, I, I think I'm preaching to the converted here, but I, th 
think you're going to be on the same boat on Teddy Bridgewater as well. Yeah, I love Teddy Bridgewater. Me, um, I'll you're keep the only it, one. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm his only fan. Um, I'll keep it pretty brief. Obviously, we, we touched upon the defense being atrocious. Um, the weapons he's got is fantastic. So uh, he's got a lot of yards after catch weapons. Mm. Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, etc. So um, Mitch made a great point about the touchdowns and. To be honest, it's probably going to be Ian Thomas that is the leading touchdown guy on that team, or they'll be hoping for that because it's a bunch of smaller guys. Yeah, um, Listen to that, Richard Cooling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry um, on. <laughs> now, I don't know about you guys if you read much into um, schedules because obviously it's based on old data and things yeah. can change. Uh, it's, it's not the most predictive thing to do. You're probably better projecting um, your own uh, defences uh, like scoring and strength uh, each season but he has got the second easy easy schedule for a QB on paper now that can change year to year but still even in a worst case where all the, the defences flip he's still going to have a pretty decent schedule for passing um, and another thing that's quite interesting with Terry Bridgewater is uh, Joe Brady he was on the coaching staff at the Saints with with him so even in this off-season where there's, uh, he's been limited as such an inferior Teddy, he's a new guy, he'll be familiar with a lot of the concepts and the terminology there. So I do think it'll be a smoother transition than a brand new QB as such. And then the last point I'd just like to make on Teddy is the late bye week. I think that's pretty decent in the sense that you're going to have him available through the rest of your team's bye week gauntlet. So you don't have to really think about that position till till right at the end of the season. Obviously, week 13 is just before the playoffs. But you know that when all of your teams doing the buys, etc., you don't have to think about QB. So, I mean, I know Mitch mentioned, Kev, that you probably wouldn't want to draft Teddy Bridgewater, but would you take him then in the, the late rounds of a redraft league? I think in a one QB redraft league, there's probably some better options there initially. Um, but I do think that he, he's someone that you've got to have your eye on. So I guess with, with Jones and Bridgewater both, it could be a case of seeing how they go in the first one or two weeks yeah, and then make them a priority. Because we know that in one QB redraft leagues, the, the QB position is pretty fluid. Yeah. Teams don't tend to keep two QBs on their, on the benches unless they've got these crazy deep benches. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. I just, I just went totally blank then on what I was going to say. <laughs> so, we love Teddy. <laughs> yeah, we love Teddy. The only thing I was going to mention is that I think, in because obviously we, we are coming more towards redraft league, so I'm not sure, I'm sure you two probably would agree that you've probably just got to be a little bit switched on. So you talk about Daniel Jones, especially in your home redraft leagues, and this is, this is no offence to anyone, you've, you've probably got a lot more casual players. So someone drafts Daniel Jones in a home redraft league for example there's a good chance that that they're going to drop him um onto the waiver wire after he plays the Steelers and 49ers um in the first few weeks of the season so I think the only thing I'd mention I don't know where you two guys are you probably have to be a week a week ahead of your league mates if that makes sense on picking these up go for it Mitch yeah yeah without <laughs> a doubt I completely agree with that it's with these but quarterbacks you should be looking a week ahead if you're just yeah. looking to stream 
the very next week, you're always going to be behind. You're always going to be in a bidding war with someone else. So if you could, like you said, come in a week early, then it just stops that from happening. So if you could pick him up after the Steelers game, but before the uh, 49ers game, I think it'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, I fell into that trap last year where I was streaming week to week and then I ended up with Andy Dalton as my quarterback in like week 13. So (laughs) it doesn't work. So Kev, you talked about potentially better options or, you know, similar options to Teddy Bridgewater. Is there anyone that you, uh, from a quarterback perspective, that you can see having a career year this year? Yeah, there's a guy with a tasty start to the season as well. So um, he's someone that probably should get drafted before. Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I'm projecting him just a little bit ahead of Teddy as well, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm. So surprisingly, this is only his, this will only be his second full season uh, in the NFL in terms of if he, if he finishes 16, it'll be his second full season, which I thought was quite shocking. I know he's had a few injuries and he was a bit part player in, in New England, but... When did New England draft him? Was it 2017? Oh, I think it's a while ago. Yeah, yeah, I was fourteen or fifteen-ish, I think. Yeah, yeah. I just think for for um, Garoppolo and the Forty Niners, they've lost they've lost a big piece on that defense with Butner, and uh, with them finishing top of the NFC West, they're going to have a tough schedule and get to play uh, two of the division winners from other divisions. And plus, they've got the second highest run to pass ratio last year, so you'd figure that that will switch up a little bit, especially if they're in tougher games where they're having to pass more. And we have seen that Jimmy Garoppolo has got that in him when he, he played away at the Saints last season and put up a massive game in the in the Superdome, which was quite a quite a shocking performance, to be honest. I didn't know he had that in him. Um, I do think the Debo injury hurts him potentially um, at the start of the season, but he's got the tight end number one for me still, so... Yeah. I think with Great the combination, stack option. yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so he's someone that you can draft, and for those first five or six weeks, he's got some really nice matchups, and then you can probably flip flop and stream and go to a guy like uh, Daniel Jones, Teddy Bridgewater, etc. So um, it's been a complete fluke, but he's kind of we've kind of spoke about three guys where you can start with Jimmy and then maybe move to one of those other two that's already been mentioned here. Um, I also think the 49ers are pretty sneaky candidates to do something like an in-season trade for a wide receiver, um, like they did with Sanders last season. You know, if if they're struggling a little bit with the younger guys, Brandon Ayuk and Jalen Hurd, etc., I think they could be in, a, in the market for another weapon for him. Um, so with that in mind, I'll throw it back to you guys. Um, who would you Who would you see as an ideal trade target for the 49ers? wide receiver go on Mitch I'm gonna I'm gonna jump this one (laughs) that's a good one honestly if there was gonna be a team who I know they don't really pick up guys with domestic violence things anymore but I could see them picking up Antonio Brown that would be a perfect pick because it gives them eight weeks if he's a moron the next eight weeks you know of the season they could just cut him and it won't be a big deal they won't have to owe him any money because he'll be suspended but if they could sign him before the season he somehow, you know, stays straight for eight weeks. I don't know how that's, you know, an impossible task, but it seems like it is. He would be a perfect guy for him. Would you be concerned, Mitch, about uh, – because, I mean, I know me and Kev have talked about this off-air, really, about mm-hmm. Antonio Brown, and we've sort of gone back and forth in it a little bit. Because I know Kev – I know Seattle are obviously the, guy, the, the team that seem to be most heavily linked with him, and that's why Kev's downgraded Tyler Lockett a little bit. 
But, I mean, I think, and you, you guys might be able to correct me, that he's still got some cases outstanding, which means he could actually end up being suspended for longer than the initial eight games. Yeah, he still has the sexual assault case going on in Florida. but So that's just a civil suit now. So yeah. the NFL just is kind of hedging their bets, saying yeah. that's not nothing's going to happen with that this year. Maybe we'll suspend them next year for it. Because oh. those civil cases could be settled four years from now. Yeah. In that case, I mean, if that happens, then I, I agree with you. I think he could – I mean, he, he it was absolutely phenomenal in the, the one game he played for New England. So um, I think that would be a great target for them. So what I would ask you both then before we move on, obviously, and I include myself in this, people have moved Brandon Ayuk up there up their rankings and up their projections and things like that on the on the basis of Debo Samuel being injured. Is that the same for you guys or are you still concerned? Obviously, he's a rookie receiver coming into the league with very little preparation time. Yeah, I, I like that move, actually. I think it'll all depend on Debo, really, but um, he's, he's going to get the opportunity. He's got that draft capital, so um, it's a little bit similar to... Jalen Rager, I think, where he's going to just be thrown in at the deep end yeah. because there's there's not a lot around him, and it'll it'll be up to him to to really show what he's got. And him and Debo are pretty similar as well, so I'm sure they could just slide him into that similar role and see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, like no matter what, I just I can't like Ayuk. I don't know why <laughs> he could be the only wide receiver on that team, and I still probably won't have any shares of him. Just. You know, Arizona State wasn't very good last year. You know, he has the speed, but that's kind of all that he has. And I actually think Trent Taylor could end up being the guy with Debo being out for a while. Trent Taylor could be that he was going to be something before he got injured last year. So I definitely think he's – I'd be more likely to draft Trent Taylor at his cost than Ayuk for sure. That's interesting. So last question. I know we've gone on about the 49ers a little bit here. So – the, one of the reasons that I agree with Kev on Jimmy Garoppolo as well, and you sort of, I mean, I think there's going to be defensive regression as well from the 49ers. Would, would either of you expect their, their pass attempts to go up this year? Yes. So it was inordinately low. <laughs> <laughs> Great analysis. That's why people listen to us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have it going up like a whole seven attempts yeah. so yeah maybe massive. I, I mean like it's a ton for him it's given like Kittle one more catch over the season which is amazing but I think the issue is they still have a very very good run game mm. and there's four running backs they can just churn through all year long if one gets injured they can put someone else in and they're going to be really good and they still have Kittle Kittle is still going to dominate that target share so no matter what he's going to get you know his 24 25% of the targets yeah and when you have a lower volume passing offense that leaves very little for a guy who cuz no one's as talented as Debo and i think that's the problem like Debo would still get his targets because he's that good i don't know yeah. if there's anyone else on the team who will demand targets the same way that he did yeah i think i potentially agree with that i do as i say i've moved Ayuk up but more as a as a late-round flyer, I wouldn't feel comfortable starting him as my wide receiver too. Um, I think the ceiling's there, but there is a lot of risk, and his cost potentially has gone up a little bit too much. So if we move on to running back selections then, Mitch, and your first running back you expect to have a career year in 2020? Yeah, this one's cheating too, just because everybody <laughs> has him. But, I mean, it's Kenya Drake, and actually I didn't know when I was didn't really pay attention when I was putting the sheet. I didn't know we are going to be talking about the Cardinals so much. But it kind of makes sense. 
for pace of play, they were the fourth fastest in the league. And the only time that they kind of had to drop back from there was because the defense and offensive line was so bad that they had to like stop running so fast because teams were just running all over them. But so going into last year, he was running back 17. And that was after playing for the Dolphins, getting traded to a new team, playing for the Cardinals. And he still ended up at 17. So that is his absolute basement floor this year. We actually have him coming in at running back five with 250 projected PPR points. Love it. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. And a huge reason for that is you just look at who he's being drafted around for FFPC. He's going right after Chubb and Jacobs, you know, guys that you know their workload. And then right after him are Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Leonard Fournette. And those are guys you kind of have to tell yourself a story a little bit about. Yeah. And so. With Drake, he's just the guy there to where we know he's going to get 50% of the market share. He's going to get 15% of the target share. And so he's a really easy projection, and he's someone who should, you know, we'll say this for all the guys, if he could stay healthy, he should absolutely smash this year. Yeah, I, I'm going to come to you, Kev, straight away, because um, I know you've been higher on Drake than I was earlier in the offseason. Yeah, he's my running back seven, he's uh, Kenyon Drake. I, I've got him projected a sim- similar sort of range as, as Mitch in terms of the fantasy points. Um, it, it's all going to be if he can handle it. If he can, like Mitch said, stay healthy and play the full 16 of that workload, he's going to smash. Um, he's got that massive ceiling for fantasy. Um, he's potentially risky because we've, we've never seen him do it before. Um, he's only had like 600 career touches, um, so... Potentially, he's, he is a fresh guy um, in, in terms of like, um, the, the workload as such. I think in redraft, I do like the idea of taking Drake at the back of the first and then um, pairing him with um, a safer guy like a Julio, I'd say. Mm. Just because even though there's that ceiling there, there's also that flaw that we've, we've, never, we've seen it for half a season, but never a full 16. So I think you have, you have got to caution it a bit. But... Um, Completely agree. If you if you're playing to win, he's he's the guy with the with the ceiling that's uh, got that potential to be in that top five at running back. I think he's got a, a way higher ceiling than guys like Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I debated Kenyon Drake earlier in the off season and got hammered for it, like most things that I say on Twitter. To be fair, <laughs> but um, from Dynasty, I'm not still 100% convinced, only because he's on a one year contract. So I think that's quite risky. But for this year. Um, we don't really need to go over again. I think Mitch and Kev have covered it brilliantly. But So he had 814 yards, eight touchdowns in eight games, fourth and half PPR over those eight games. And I don't really think he's got any major competition. Obviously, they drafted Edo, Eno Benjamin and they have Chase Edmonds. I'm a big fan of Chase Edmonds and I do expect him to be involved. But he's never going to be, be able to be the the bell cow back, he's, he just doesn't have the size to do that. So for that reason, I agree. And I think you're smashing Kenyon Drake at the back of the first round every time. I agree, yeah. I think you've got to do that. If you if you leave it to the second, you, you're going to miss out. So if you're anything after, say, pick nine or ten, yeah, you've, you've got to be making it there and not hoping he makes it back because he's yeah. not. No, he's not going to make it back to you. I mean, I can't believe this. We're actually... Are we four from four on a green here? Even me and Kev have agreed on every selection so far. It's about to change. Yeah, I've just seen the next name on the show sheet. So, So Mitch, do you want to give us your second running back? 
Yeah, that worries me because I've been hammering this guy in every league possible because like, I just love what he is at his price. So it's David Montgomery. And the one thing that holds him back from moving up higher is that Chicago Bears team as a whole could be horrible this year mm. and could be 3-13 and 13 again. It's, I think that's an easier outcome for them than going 6-10. and 10. Mm. And that's the biggest worry you have. But you take that out of it. He is the only back in Chicago that has touchdown upside. Last year, inside the five-yard line, he had 14 carries for 11 yards and five touchdowns. Tariq Cohen had one carry for no yards. And so we know. I, we, <laughs> I know, right? We I think <laughs> actually played him in DFS that week. <laughs> uh, honestly, um, was that the weekend we went to Wembley, Kev? Yeah, I had yeah, Cohen. I, 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 I had Cohen in my team, and uh, <laughs> my opponent had Montgomery, and I saw he got tackled at the uh, at the goal line. I was fuming. <laughs> But with him, we could pretty much say he's going to get 250 touches or carries no matter what. I mean, that is his bottom floor with an upside of 300. And so he just gives you that really low floor that if you have him as you're running back three going into the season, because right now in FFPC leagues, he's being drafted below Cam Akers and Devin Singletary. And those guys don't have a floor. They could get 50 carries this whole year, you know, could be in their outcomes. Yeah. And so with David Montgomery, we just know who he is. He's not a flashy guy. He's not going to get five receptions a game, but he's going to give you that 10 to 12 points. He could give you a touchdown every other week. And if Chicago could end up just being a seven and nine team, he does like his projections should just fly because that means he'll be getting more touchdown opportunity and, you know, maybe Mitchell Trubisky was the one holding him back. And if Nick Foles gets the job, maybe he's just not terrible. And sadly, that's kind of what the basement floor is with that team. Yeah, so I, to be fair, I didn't realize the ADP on him where it was coming in more potentially as an RB3. Because uh, what I sort of say is I think coming out of college, he had, um, it, it seemed to be well known he had athletic limitations. And obviously, he was mm -hmm. horribly exposed behind that offensive line last year. And I don't really think they've done that much to improve it. I think they signed Jermaine Ifedi, and that's about it. So I don't think that offensive line's going to improve enough to cover up for Montgomery's flaws. But what I would say is so this is. As I say, I, I haven't got David Montgomery anywhere and I, I can't see that changing. But what I'd say is I think you've hit on it with the volume at least, is that his volume is at least going to get him into the running back to uh, the RB2 conversation. Because like you said, there's not that much competition there. You've obviously got Tyreek Cohen and then Artavius Pierce. Uh, neither of those guys profile as, as a, a potential bell cow. So the volume's going to be there for him. But the reason I'd avoid Montgomery is because... I don't believe that the ceiling's there. Um, so, Kev, is this who are you going to agree with, Kev? Uh, myself or Mitch? Well, I, I wish it were Mitch because I like him more than you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this, Rich. Rich and Mitch. Wow. Um, yeah. So I do actually think Montgomery will have a career year. Um, I agree on that. He scored 170. So he might get 171 this year. <laughs> See, that's all that takes. That might be his best year ever. <laughs> so I, I've actually got him projected for about 190, which it's it's still 20 20 or so less than Mitch, but it's it's beaten last year. Um, and I was my RB 25. And um, I can see an argument where 
you would take him as as your RB three. Mm. But bearing in mind his ADP is uh, RB twenty five, so in your your standard, yeah. And I I think for me at that point in an RB three, I want someone with a bit of upside like uh, your your Kareem Hunt or a DeAndre Swift, yeah. um, somebody yeah. like that, just on it from a roster build point of view. I guess if you had if you took uh, McCaffrey for example and then um, went modified zero RB and took <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of wide receivers, yeah, I could I could sort of tell myself a story that Montgomery is the RB two in that situation would be fine because he's going to give you that floor, um, but obviously. You and Mitch and JB are going to hate me for this, but I, oh. I don't believe in the talent. I don't believe in the O line to improve. I don't trust the GM or the coaching staff, and I wouldn't want a two-down running back on a bad team. Um, if it was in a different situation, there was some three-down pass upside. Yeah, I, I could get on board with that, but he's not going to catch many passes with Tariq Cohen there. Who, who can probably have about 100 targets himself. Yeah, I think Terry Cohen's quite underrated. I mean, he wasn't great last year and he was quite inefficient, but I think he's, especially for his price, he can pretty much get him for free almost. And in, actually, in my projections, Cohen and Montgomery are very close. Mm. So it'd only take a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of touchdown look along, a couple of long down, touchdown passes. And I could see Cohen outscoring Montgomery, especially if the Bears are a, uh, seven and uh, a six and ten team or something like that. Ooh, I'm going to allow Mitch to. I'm enjoying not being involved in this one, Mitch. I'm going to allow you to respond to Kev's projections there. Well, I'll. So what he said previously about the coach and him not being a good running back, I agree with all that. Yeah. But he will get the volume, and that's the one thing I will always go back to is when you're getting a running back in that range. I want the volume mm. and the Turi Cohen thing but like Kev brought up the worry is the touchdowns he could get three or maybe he somehow gets up to 10 yeah you know and that's just the range of outcome where you could see David Montgomery even if they're a bad team he'll still probably get eight rushing touchdowns on the year so mm. that'll just leave his floor a little bit higher but I love Tariq Cohen going late in drafts no one even brings up like you guys do that he had a hundred targets last year yeah. This upcoming year should still have another 100 targets. There's no reason why it shouldn't happen. Yeah. I mean, who else is in there? Who has he got? Who, who, in, including the wide receivers, he's got Alan Robinson. Anthony uh, Miller. Anthony Miller, yeah. I, th I do think Anthony Miller will take a step this season, but not, mm -hmm. not majorly. So you've got Robinson, Miller. Jimmy Graham. Yeah. <laughs> Ted, Ted Ginn Jr. Ted yep. Ginn Jr. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you this. Artavis Pierce. Oh, that, that's a sore subject, actually, because in the Astros Devi League, uh, we're in Rish sniped me on Artavius Pierce on waivers this week. So <laughs> I, I only went for him after I read an article on Dynasty League Football, though, so it's my own fault. <laughs> uh, so I was laughing, actually, Mitch, at one of the names you mentioned while you were talking about uh, David Montgomery, because this is one where I get to switch sides, I think, where I'm going to agree with Mitch, but we'll see. So, Kev, you've got a guy who you think is going to have a career year yeah my head was in my hands to be honest when Mitch <laughs> mentioned him um mentioned him as a guy with no floor on the uh, on the Montgomery <laughs> piece so. um, it's fair to say I'm expecting a bit of pushback here um so yeah a, a guy I like based on his 
projection in his cost is uh, is Devin Singletree, which uh, is it's not a guy who actually discussed much of um, mm. in our, on our podcast uh, since we began. Um, he was on pace for 193 um, fantasy points last season. Uh, he only played in 12 games, so he had about 140. Um, and I project him to eclipse 200 this season, which puts him at about RB22. Now, for me, he's, he's on an improving team, an improving franchise in the Bills. Um, but I do think a lot gets made of how Josh Allen impacts him um, from a rushing touchdown point of view. And also um, that he's a rushing QB and rushing QBs don't pass to running backs. So obviously with Singletree, he's... He's not a touchdown scorer. We know that he got two rushing touchdowns last season. But what I will say is, I do think he's still involved in the pass game because he was RB eleven in running back routes per game last season, um, and he was on pace for forty receptions, which as a rookie I think is pretty solid. Um, he flashed in the playoffs as well uh, against the Texans. He had a six reception, seventy six yard game. Um, and like I said, he's, he's not reliant on the touchdowns for his, his fantasy production. So that brings me nicely on to Zach Moss, mm. who um, people are worrying about a guy that was a 10th running back taken in this draft class. Um, I do think that he's going to be in the Frank Gore role. And do you know what? There is, there is potential that Moss could be something decent, but for a rookie to come in in this offseason and, and take his job, I just can't see that happening, so that's why I would um, be comfortable taking Singletree higher than, well, a lot higher than from what I've seen in a few few drafts I've done so far. Do we know where his ADP is, roughly? No, no. <laughs> it, I, all I know is I was in a I was in a best ball, and he he was like he he was there like when Tariq Cohen was going like in yeah, late twenties, early thirties. I was thinking, have, have I missed something here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you sort of already touched on it, so I'm probably going to come to Mitch. I mean, I am because I am worried about Zach Moss taking that Frank Gore role, and my issue would be because I was really excited about Singletary early in the offseason. I really like what the Buffalo Bills have done, and I think that offense is potentially going to be really fun to watch this year. And but my concern is how many of the touches that Zach Moss takes away from him, but. It, in, in argument in your favour, Kev, I, I very much doubt that he's going to get much of the passing work at all. Uh, so, but the, the goal line touches obviously, and and taking and God, I forgot my words. I can't even speak. That the, the neighbour must be out with his lawnmower again. Uh, in terms of sniping the touchdowns, is where I worry with Zach Moss. So, obviously, Mitch, you said that Devin Singletary has no flaw. So, I'll let you take this one. All right, so you guys mind if we get what we say a little bit into the weeds on this one with Zach Moss? Yeah. yeah. So yes, please. I'm actually, so I live in Utah. You went to, you know, University of Utah, yeah. which is 20 minutes away. Wow. You've got that knowledge then. Yeah. So <laughs> a big thing that it's really hard to get into on Twitter because people can't get the full context. Yeah. But with Utah Utes running backs, they're always really good. Mm -hmm. um, you have the guy. Uh, Williams, who was drafted by the 49ers, you know, that Shanahan pounded the table for. Oh, yeah. And you had Devontae Booker, who was going to be a thing for Denver. And now you have Zach Moss, who's going to be a thing for Buffalo. But one thing that a lot, I would say 95% of fans don't know about the Utah Utes is so they have the LDS missionary program. So Utah is, you know, it's a 
the Mormon capital of the world. They call themselves LDS here. But what happens is when they're 19 years old, they go on a mission for two years and then they come back. And when that happens for offensive linemen, then all of a sudden you have 23 and 24-year-old offensive linemen mm -hmm. going against 19-year-olds from USC. Yeah. So they're just yeah. bigger, stronger, and better than, you know, what the 19-year-olds can do. And so the, what Kyle Whittingham does is he always plays defense and he always runs the ball. They always have a really good scheme built about that because they have that built in – you know, talent that other yeah. people just don't have. BYU was the same way through the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s until other people just were able to catch up. And so that's a big thing about, like, I was a lot higher on Dingle's, Dingle. <laughs> Dingle. <laughs> Dingle Devin Singletary, <laughs> right? On Devin Singletary coming into this year because I'm like, like, I love Zach Moss. I think he's a good running back. But Singletary just brought so much last year. And we saw Buffalo coaching staff just didn't want to give Singletary the ball. And I figure that's more because they don't want to give rookies the ball. And it wasn't really about Singletary. But the more that we hear from the coaches, it sounds like Moss is going to get more playtime than I was expecting to begin with. And at that point, I'm just – I'm not sure how it's going to be because Singletary was never like the huge prospect model moving in. We weren't like, yeah, you know, everyone go and get him. It was just like, you know, he did well last year. And so hopefully he'll do good again this year. But this is just one to where I'm probably just going to stay away from both of them and just not worry about it. Yeah, I th I mean, I took him in a recent Dynasty startup. I took him as my RB4 because, uh, as Kev said, I mean, he, he dropped way too far beyond his mm -hmm. ADP, and I'm happy to take him as my RB4. I think the, the ceiling's certainly there. But I, I just – in redraft, I'm – I'm with you. His current cost safe is going even around the 24-25 range. I – have too many concerns around Zach Moss to to pull the trigger and vice versa. I, I don't think I'd take Zach Moss for the same reason. I think it's too much of a cloudy situation. I guess it's a little bit like um, the books backfield in a sense that you've got Keyshawn Vaughn, a third round rookie coming in and there was a lot of hype at the beginning of the off season and uh, Moss had hype as well. Uh, and that's a cloudy backfield where it might be Ronald Jones that runs away with it, but it might be a complete mess where you've got three or four guys that are um, sort of eating at each other's production. And I could easily see um, a situation where it, this, a similar situation in Buffalo. Welcome back to part two of the British Ballers podcast. Just before we go on with the show, I just want to give a quick shout out to a guy that has had both myself and Kev on his podcast in the last few weeks. He's a fantastic up-and-coming podcaster in the fantasy fantasy community, and that is Rich Cooling. You can follow him on Twitter, at Dynasty Island, and we both had a fantastic time on the show with him. And I really did want to give Rich a shout-out because he was fantastic on the show and also because I uh, abused him quite heavily in the first half of this show. So moving on to the wide receiver selection. So today we have the fantastic Mitch Sorensen on the show from Dynasty Theory. And we're going through the players position by position who he believes will have career years in 2020, as mentioned at the top of the show. This is going to be our last Dynasty show for a while before we flip over to redraft, DFS and potentially best ball. So if we move right into the, the wide receivers, Mitch, you want to give us your first wide receiver on the slate? See, I don't feel bad about saying this guy's name because like everybody's talking about him now. 
but I was talking about him in January. <laughs> but it's Calvin Ridley. Last year, you know, he came in as wide receiver 27 after he had that abdominal injury. We have him coming in this year at wide receiver six. And Ooh. I feel extremely wow. comfortable in that. Uh, him being a top 10 wide receiver this year, I, I think barring injury, it's going to happen. Um, he was on pace for a wide receiver one last year. And the one thing that we know about this Falcons offense is it's not going to be run heavy. Todd Gurley can't have 300 carries. And his backups with Brian Hill and Ito Smith, I mean, they're what? Backup running backs. I mean, that's like at best. Yeah. They're a bi-week starter and there's no one else available. On waivers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you just don't want them on your fantasy team ever. And if that happens – like we just know Calvin Ridley's going to be getting the ball a lot more. So we end up having him, and we didn't even give him a high market share. We just gave him 20%. He came out to about 122 targets, gave him about 1,120 yards and eight touchdowns. And I think that is really conservative on him, to be honest. We love Julio, too. I think he's coming in as wide receiver, two for us. But Calvin Ridley is going to be an absolute smash. I will get him in every league possible. So... Kev, I've sort of fainted, uh, so I'm, I cannot possibly be impartial, so I'm going to let you go first here because I love every word that Mitch just said. I, I can't add anything to that. I'm in complete agreement with Mitch. Um, injury aside, I, I cannot see a scenario where he's not a wide receiver one this season. Literally, I think wide receiver 12 is probably his floor. Um there's clear comps for him to be this year's Chris Godwin. I think that's uh, that's been um, mentioned up pretty much all off season. But it, I mean, what is it not to like? He's got he plays for a team with the most vacated targets in the NFL. He's been a sneaky touchdown scorer, scoring 17 in 29 games. Um, I mean, our, our first episode we did of this podcast, we, we was talking about trading a toilet roll for. Calvin Ridley Calvin because Ridley, yeah. it, it, was, it was that much of a commodity that um, you, you have to go and buy him and he, his value is only going to go up yeah. um, for, for your dynasty leagues uh, and redraft he's easily going to have his best career uh, best season of his career Yeah. Um, the, the defence is weak so the volume is going to be there um, so yeah absolutely he's, he's wide receiver one guaranteed for me yeah, he's obviously, and one the only thing he didn't touch on there, Kev, as well, um, is Matt Ryan, who is the most, in my opinion, the most severely underrated quarterback in the league. He, there's a very good chance that Atlanta could lead the league in passing attempts as well. So there's plenty of work there to go around for both Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and obviously Hayden Hurst at tight end as well. And Mitch, I agree with you that Gurley won't handle 300 touches. So... Uh, there's not really much to debate on this one. I I totally agree as well. Um, I mentioned this on, on Dynasty Island last week about something I put on Twitter in around May time and I was hammered for it. So with obviously you being so high on Calvin Ridley as well, Mitch, um, I'll ask you this question. I, I said on social media that I, I have Calvin Ridley ranked higher than DeAndre Hopkins this year. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Mm. Um, yeah. Hold on. Let me pull up the rank. Let me see where we actually have. Oh, yeah. We actually, as far as rankings this year. So I don't play a lot of redraft. So it takes yeah. my mind to get back <laughs> into redraft mode. But yeah, um, we have Hop Hopkins coming in as 
wide receiver 13. Mm. And, you know, we have Ridley at six, and he's a good 20 points ahead of Hopkins, too. Like I said, I feel very comfortable with our Ridley projection. So, yeah. Love that. Excellent. I mean, I, I mean we'll, we'll probably touch on it a little bit with the next wide receiver mm-hmm. you've got down there. But, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that DeAndre Hopkins – I think people read it incorrectly. I can only think that they thought I was thinking that Ridley would be maybe a back-end wide receiver one or, you know, top of the wide receiver two chat, but it wasn't anything to do with that. And, and that I was sort of suggesting that Hopkins would be a bust, but that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm necessarily low on DeAndre Hopkins, though I wouldn't take him at his current price. It's more that how high I am on Calvin Ridley. He's a star. Yeah, that, that's a good <laughs> He's going to be. And I mean, yeah. that's the thing is you have to be early. And if you're doing – Dynasty drafts right now, you're not going to be able to get him at his price. So if you could have seen this coming, you know, in February or March, you could have got him at wide receiver 20 price instead yeah. of, you know, the wide receiver 13 that he's going at now. Yeah, I mean, I picked him up. I've got him. I think he's my most highest owned player. Uh, I get him everywhere. I've overpaid. for. Well, at the time, I fe- I've, I've traded for him in a few leagues and I felt like potentially an overpay, but I think it's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, majorly, and I've, I've drafted him everywhere I can as well. Unless somebody snipes me, the problem is I'm so publicly in favour of Calvin Ridley that everyone now seems to just snipe me to be spiteful. <laughs> but apart with, from that, <laughs> the thing with Ridley is that, like, you you you'd be happy with him as your wide receiver one in round three, or, uh, round four, yeah, yeah. maybe um, yeah, definitely for for for, you, for either dynasty or redraft. Yeah. And what you'll find in dynasty as well is when Julio does finally retire. His, his value is going to shoot up because he'll be the main man. Now, I, I'm not sure if he is an alpha, if he can really be the, the, the go-to guy as such. Mm. But I do think his value will increase when that does happen, when Julio retires or leaves. So I just think if you have to pay up now, you're going to get a similar amount or more in the future. Yeah, I think as soon as you could say you've got those doubts, Kev, and then it comes to Julio leaving Atlanta or, or potentially even retiring in the next few years, even if you haven't got the faith that he can be the alpha, that's the perfect time that you potentially could sell him. 100% agree with that, yeah. Yeah. So if we move on to our second wide receiver, Mitch, who again I think I'm going to gush over when I uh, when you start talking, so I might just glaze out. So. <laughs> So this one's going to be Christian Kirk. And the funniest thing about this was, you know, I wrote down these projection, you know, the show sheet uh, about a week ago now. And John and I went through a show updating our projections on Thursday. And we're looking at the Cardinals and I'm like, John, look at Christian Kirk's um, rushing uh, average. And we had him at like 41 yards per carry. <laughs> so that, that, that elevated him a little bit higher than what we actually have. But when we, you know, fixed that, updated anything, he still came in. Last year he had 168 points. This year we have him at 183. So just has him coming in as wide receiver 32. But I think that's really on his low side because like we brought up with Kenyon Drake, this offense is going to play fast and it has elite players at all of the positions. And I think this is something that's what makes Hopkins come in at wide receiver 12. Mm. Christian Kirk is still going to get 20% of these targets. Yeah. And with that happening, it's where he's going, he gives you that floor each week. You know you're going to get 10 PPR points and then you could have a game like you had, what was it against? 
was it Tampa Bay? I believe it was a Florida yeah. team last year that he had yeah, four touchdowns. Yeah, he went nuts, yeah. You know, that's yeah. in his range of outcomes. This is a really high-potent offense, and he could give, the, give you those games. So that's someone, although, you know, his numbers went down a little bit from what I had listed before, <laughs> I still really like him. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got him to outscore Michael Thomas. That's, I'm, not, I'm not really joking. No, no, but I again, I'm going to have to come to you, Kev, because I, I can't be, I can only be, I can't be partial on, on Christine Kirk or Calvin Ridley. Um, but I love how far he's fallen in 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 best ball and in redraft leagues. I, I think it's nuts, and a lot of that is down to the name value of them signing DeAndre Hopkins. So for me, I would love to come out of any redraft league this year. With Calvin Ridley as my wide receiver one and Christian Kirk as my wide receiver two. Yeah, and like you said with the Hopkins trade, it's going to help the Cardinals of offense overall. Um, the volume's going to be up because they're going to be sustaining more drives. They're going to be on the field more. Uh, the defense that's got to improve from last season because um, it, it was an, a terrible run defense last year. Um, I'm not worried about 37-year-old move tight end Larry Fitzgerald. Corpse of Larry Fitzgerald as Evan Silver calls <laughs> <laughs> But I, I do think that this, uh, that the Cardinals as an offense overall is some is an offense you want to buy into with that volume. Yeah. Um, you want to really buy into those players, except Dan Arnold, because he's atrocious. <laughs> Did, have you met Dan Arnold? Has he, has he punched you? <laughs> has he knocked you out or something? So you hate the guy. I just... I don't get the hype about <laughs> a six foot six, two hundred and twenty pound tight end. That's was gonna, that? Did but, you start thinking that the day I picked him up in every dynasty league that we're in together? <laughs> I just thought, what, what, who is it? Like, who is he? Like, <laughs> have, 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 have I missed <laughs> something here? He's, he's, he's got a ceiling of like forty catches, and people are going wild thinking he might be a breakout. And I've got nothing against the guy. I've never met him, but well, you wouldn't um, think so. <laughs> he, uh, he, honestly, terrible, terrible. So I completely I, agree with Arnold. Sorry to jump in real quick. I was just going to say, if he's on the field for 100% of snaps and no other tight end comes on, like Kev said, he might get 40 catches. I mean, maybe. I mean, that would be his absolute thing. And with tight ends, you just – you can't do that. You can't have fantasy tight ends who might give you three catches a week. Hmm. So what you're both saying is I should probably cut him from the back of the six rosters I picked him up on. Just put him, trade him to someone else. <laughs> someone will pay for him. Yeah. I might try and trade for Antonio Gibson, but I saw someone pay two first round picks for him this oh, morning. So, so bad. So crazy. bad. So Kev, is there any wide receivers that you wanna you wanna pick up here for a potentially career year? I'm hoping that this is the hat trick for wide receivers that we all agree on that we all like. So I'm going to throw in a token Jags player for you, Rich, and Thanks. go for DJ Shark. Excellent. Um, so big fan of Shark. Um, really impressive leap from year one to two. I've got him projected at about 248 fantasy points, which is wide receiver 17, which ironically is the same spot I finished last season. Um, he had great chemistry with Minshew, who I think is guaranteed to be the starter all this year before um, you're looking to take somebody at the top of the draft next season. Yeah. Um, with, with Jack, I don't think he's a special talent as such, but I just love the, the volume and the opportunity uh, on a team that's going to be playing from behind most of the season. Um, in, in terms of Jack, from a dynasty perspective, I, I'd love to get your guys' uh, take on this. Um, with 
with the Jags looking to probably take someone like Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields next uh, next spring, is Jack someone you'd look to prioritise and buy now rather than the inevitable increase in price when he gets a franchise QB? I I would. I don't know about you, Mitch. I would. I I certainly would pay for him now. I've I've got him in a few leagues, um, and that's despite having literally zero like literally zero faith in Gardner Minshew as a future quarterback. I'm still paying for DJ Chat now. Um, I think you're right. I think his price will increase next off-season. Fingers crossed we do get the number one or two overall pick in the NFL draft to replace Gardner Minshew. Um, I am I'm paying up for DJ Chat now. I, I mean, we've talked about this, Kevin. I think it's come up on a previous show. Uh, and I've talked about it on Twitter. I'm, and it's a little bit like you said with Calvin Ridley. I'm not 100% convinced that DJ Chark is an alpha receiver but at his current price I'm willing to take a chance that I'm wrong on that so I, I do try and get Chark wherever I can and I certainly would trade for him now so I'd be interested where you are on DJ Chark Mitch. So the two likeliest outcomes we could see from Jacksonville is they're really bad like we all know and they get a quarterback <laughs> and then Chark um, you know will move up because of that or they're Kind of okay. They're always from playing from behind. Minshew has to pass a lot. Shark gets a lot of touchdowns. Minshew stays and has Shark. So either way, Shark's value should go up next year. So I completely agree he's a buy. I have him, you know, tiered right underneath. Where is he at? Between Jalen Rager and CeeDee Lamb, I have him just right underneath them. Yeah. And if he comes out and has a halfway decent year, just like he had last year, I see him easily moving up ahead of those guys. Those rookies just get... A little bit more value because everyone likes them. But as far as going forward into redraft this year, I really like Shark. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good place to have them. Um, I think Jalen Rager is a guy, I would probably have him slightly ahead of Shark as well, uh, just on that potential ceiling. And I think you mentioned it, Kev, earlier in the show, is that Rager's going to be throwing in at the, thrown in at the deep end this year. So I think we're really going to see where he's made of straight off the bat, even with the limited off-season. I said a few days ago, he's one of the few rookies who I'm not concerned about drafting, even in redraft leagues. But I think that's a fair ranking for Chark. But like you said, Mitch, that, that value could soon shoot up if he has even close to what he did last year. And I, I think he will surpass that. He, he actually played hurt towards the end of the season. Um, and people forget that because he did sort of tail off after he, he had a red-hot start to the season up until around midway point, And then he picked up an injury and he was never quite the same after that. And for me as well, you've got to remember that he, he was pretty much all that defences had to to cover. prepare for. Yeah, cover. Thanks, Kev. I don't know what's wrong with me today, but <laughs> <laughs> cover or prepare for. I'm really high, probably higher than consensus on LaVisca Chanel. I think he takes some of the attention away as well. So, yeah, I'm all in on DJ Chark. What a wide receiver call we have there. I know. I mean, imagine being able to to roll that out in your dynasty team every week. I would love yep. that. Yeah, I'm sure we'll all disagree once we get to tight ends, though. I think we have to. Who we, I brought up. <laughs> <laughs> We've agreed on all three wide receivers, so I sort of hope so. So if we move on to tight ends, then Mitch, your first tight end you expect to have a career year. This is the one guy that, as soon as everyone saw our rankings, they immediately were like, what are you two doing? But it's, <laughs> it's Tyler Higby, right? And we have him coming in as tight end four. But the thing is, we didn't even raise him up a lot. Last year, he had 160 PPR points. 
this year we have them for 174 PPR points. And what happens is after you get past Kittle, Kirk, and Ke- uh, Kittle, Kelsey, and Andrews, like you could have anyone there coming in at four, in my opinion. Yeah. And so what happens was when you go through the Rams target share, you have Cup, you have Woods, and then you really don't have anybody to give targets to. Mm. You can maybe give some to Everett, but I really do believe Higby is going to be the guy moving forward. And they throw the least amount to running backs in the league. It was They threw to him 10% of the time. The league average is 20%. And I don't think Cam Akers coming in is all of a sudden going to get a whole bunch of volume that they wouldn't give to Todd Gurley last year in the passing game. So I think that's just how they built their team now. And just when you look at it, they played more 12 personnel last year the further they got into the season. So if Everett and Higby are on the field, then I really believe that Higby could be the Darren Waller of this year. Uh, You know, people are like, ah, you know, he could be okay. Then he ends up doing really well. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of 50-50 on this one. I don't know about you, Kev. At the minute, I've sort of gone back and forth a little bit, or flip-flops, as you like to say. I do worry that the the production we saw from Tyler Higby at the end of the year – um, was while Gerald Everett was out hurt. but mm-hmm. you said, So it is a small sample size, but you could argue back that, you know, Higby did, was so phenomenal in those five weeks where he basically won people leagues. Um, and he was so good that do the Rams then say, you know, that he's their guy going forward. Because I think Gerald Everett's out of, out of contract at the end of this year. Um, I was literally talking about him this morning. Um, Elvin, Elvin Ryan posted something on Twitter about, who uh, you take out of Higby and Everett, and I was sort of in the frame of mind of taking Everett because he's the much cheaper of the two, and I think it's it's the little bit of the unknown that worries me at Higby's ADP. But I, I think it's honestly, I think it's one that could go either way. I, I'll be honest, I just really don't know how this is going to play out. So, Kev, I know you, you talked talked highly of Higby earlier this year, but so, so so is it? Are you still in the same place, or are you worried about the the sort of the the cloudy projections for both Higby and Gerald Everett? Well, spookily, um, I also projected Higby for exactly 174 points. So, um, obviously, I don't do as as much detail work as uh, the great work that Mitch and JB have done. I I just pick a number, pretty much. You're like, um, I want him there. (laughs) You just draw it out of a hat. (laughs) Random number generator. Uh, But, to be honest, like, Higby, he's probably got the, the widest range of outcomes for any tight end and potentially any any uh, any player in redraft I'd say as well because um if you look at those the the five game stretch last season that was that was like Hall of Fame level fantasy yeah. production. Um I do worry that that came after the Everett injury. Yeah. Um because he was he was like pretty much a nothing until then. And there's a ton of questions in the Rams offense. Will there be more twelve personnel? Will Higby be the starter? Um he could be great or he could be a bust. So I think even though I've got him projected as my tight end seven. Um, I I don't think I'd take him there just because um, of the range of outcomes as such. And I feel that he could be a top four, top five tight end, but it could easily be a, a tight end 20. So I think my strategy from a redraft point of view is I could probably get someone right at the end of the draft. Someone like, I don't know, a, a, a John O. Smith or a Chris Herndon and feel comfortable that you'd be able to give you the same production as Higby on most weeks. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. And that, that's the thing. I, I don't I know we joked when you first mentioned him, which I don't necessarily agree with disagree with anything that you've said there. But it's just the uncertainty of of where you'd have to take him in, in a redraft league that puts me off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, two of the games that he went off, I believe he played against the Cardinals who can't <laughs> guard tight ends. Yeah. You know, but a big thing for me is so the tight ends going right around him, right ahead of him in FFPC is Darren Waller and Evan Ingram. And right below him is Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. And each one of those guys, I have to be like, well, you know, the Raiders yeah. added a whole bunch of pass catchers. Evan Ingram's never healthy. Hunter Henry has Tyrod Taylor throwing him yeah. the ball. Mike Gesicki, Chan Gailey doesn't use tight ends. And yeah. so it just, there's so many of these guys that I think Tyler Higby just ended up there because of the questions with the other guys. And it's not like, hey, he's my tight end for moving forward. But like you guys said, like it could be his outcome. And I completely agree. He could be Vance McDonald and, and uh, <laughs> tight end 28 because we just be like, hey, there's a lot of targets available. Let's give them all to him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, out of those those tight ends you mentioned there, um, I think the only one I'd potentially take, because uh, I, I probably wouldn't take a tight end in that range, but if I did, the only one I'd take over, he'd be there. If I was going to pull the trigger would be probably Gasicki. But again, you mentioned it, and we've mentioned it on the show before, what's it, as talented as Gasicki might be, and I think it was you, Kev, that mentioned this a few shows ago. You, you may have even wrote about it, and it's cloudy in my mind but the, the fact that Shangeli doesn't use his tight ends in that that's a real concern for me with Mike Kosicki that people seem to be completely overlooking I think as well with um with Higby the if you do take him in your redraft league and he, he flames out and he's a nothing there's plenty of options on the yeah. way usually in redraft because a little bit like the QB position yeah um a lot of teams will only be rostering one unless they're not very bright <laughs> that, it's funny you mention that because we obviously did a mock draft a few weeks ago for one of our home leagues and it's hard to I don't know about you Mitch it's hard to get back into the swing of doing a redraft league I know you said you don't play much of that anyway but it's so hard because I was looking at taking a second and third tight end and then I remembered oh, I don't actually need these this isn't a dynasty league yeah it's so hard especially with best ball because best ball is more about your lineup construction than it is the actual players oh yeah yeah. And so, you know, Dynasty, I'll end up leaving a draft with seven running backs and yeah. five tight ends. You you have four tight ends in a best ball league, and you know you're not going to win. You have like a 5% chance of winning just yeah. based on that percentage alone. Yeah, definitely. So if we move on to the your second tight end, Mitch. It's going to be Hayden Hurst. And mm -hmm. like it was for some reason, we're talking about the Cardinals and Atlanta a lot. But you look at Hayden Hurst, and he's always been a talented tight end. His previous best season, because he's been in a, you know, timeshare with the other tight ends there in Baltimore, he had 76.9 points. And we have him coming in as tight end 11 with 128. And just what you see is you had Austin Hooper, who had 75 pretty much targets, or sorry, receptions the last two years there. And that's with him getting hurt. He also had that many. And so, you know, in Hurst's range of outcomes is that 75 points. I don't think he's as good as Austin Hooper. So I think having him come in at about 50 receptions, but still, it still ends up putting him in that tight back end, tight end one sphere. Yeah. I think that's really fair for him. Because, I mean, kind of like we were saying with Higby, there's a lot of targets there that, who are they going to throw to? Like, yeah. 
I mean, the wide receiver three, I can't even think of his name, Russell Gage, like, probably not. Yeah, I, I, quite, I think Russell Gage got quite a lot of volume towards the end of last year, but it was only mm-hmm. after, I think, Ridley went down hurt. So I'd agree with you there. Um, I'm not necessarily high on Hayden Hurst himself. Like you said, he, he's clearly talented. and He was stuck behind Mark Andrews in Baltimore. I think he was a first-round pick, though. Baltimore picked him. Yep, from the he was drafted ahead round, of Andrews. Think, yeah. So though I've got question marks a little bit around how good he actually is, I want every piece of the Falcons' offense that I can get. So, I mean, he'll certainly have a career year. I think he'll, he'll easily beat his previous of, of 76.9. And I think there's enough targets to go around even with Julio and Ridley on the team, because like you said, there's not much else there in terms of target competition other than Todd Gurley, but we've already gone through why he won't see 300 touches this year and won't be targeted that much in the passing game. So on that basis alone and the opportunity there and how much Matt Ryan um, targeted Austin Hooper, I agree with you. I think 100%, I would have no... I'm very confident that he has his best year yet. So Kev, I mean... It'd be interesting to see where you've got Hurst in your projections and whether you think he'll be his previous best. Yeah, all I can say is ding, 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 because we uh, we all agree on Aiden Hurst. Um, tight end 13, I've got him, so um, it falls in line with what Mitch was saying. I think top five upside, top 15 f- uh, floor for me. Um, like you said, Rich, he's got that first round draft pedigree, which shows he has got that talent. And... The Falcons, have, I believe, they paid a second-round uh, draft pick for him, yeah. which it's that's quite hefty for a, a, a guy that's I don't know, maybe got less than fifty, hundred, hundred uh, receptions in his career. Um, yeah. I just think that that, that system as well with Dirk Cutter, it's it's tight end friendly. Um, he's he's more athletic than Hooper, so I can I, if he had a season like Hooper did last season, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm fully on board with this. Wow. We've agreed on quite a few of these today. So see if, see if we can get Mitch to disagree with the next one. Unfortunately, I, I agree with you you're going to bring up Kev. So do you want to bring up your tight end who you think will have a career year? Well, I, I teed myself up for it earlier by mentioning his name. Um, so I'm feeling pretty happy about this one. Uh, Chris Herndon. Mm. So as a rookie, he had, 500, he had over 500 yards, which uh, puts him in elite company with guys such as Gronk, Kittle, Kelsey, Mark Andrews, etc. Now, last season was a bit of a, a bit of a sore point. He, he got suspended and then he got injured. Um, came back, got injured again. It was a lost season for him. But I have him projected as my tight end eighteen, around about 100 and, 104, like 150 points. And his previous best was 111.2 as a rookie. Yeah. Now we all, I think we'll all be, agree that the Jets are um, terrible. a terrible franchise, <laughs> and they will be pass heavy in 2020, especially with the um, sort of the losses they've had on defense. Jim Adams got traded, CJ Mosley opted out. That's probably their two best defenders. So they're going to be passing a ton. The volume's going to be there. Um, Crowder is he's solid enough, but he's hardly elite. Yeah. You've got Perriman and Mims who are new to the system. Um, so I just think that it's it's easily a career for Herndon. Um, he, last year, was, he was a big uh, guy I spoke about on, on, in the Wave of Flavor article series for the astronauts, and unfortunately that didn't come to fruition. Um, would you guys be happy with him this year as a, as a waiver ad, or would you even take him in your drafts? 
Uh, I, I wait on tight and unless I can get one of the top three where it makes sense, which usually I can't, then I wait as long as possible in tight end. So I'd be more than happy taking her. And what did you say he did in his, his rookie season, Kev? I think he had something like 39 catches for 502 yards. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge green flag. For I mean, we talk a lot about red flags. You don't, you don't see many tight ends come into the league and be productive straight off the bat. So the fact that he put together that sort of production as a rookie for me straight away is a green flag. The, the offence is an issue, but again, who has Sam Darnold really got to throw with it, throw to in that offence? They're going to get beat down heavily, I think. I mean, some of the, obviously the opt-outs they've had, um, I, I just think, yeah, they, they're probably going to have to pass one of, the, one of the most highest rates in the league. I've got no faith in Le'Veon Bell at running back as well. So, uh, I think the, that that helps Chris Herndon. I think if he can stay healthy, he'll be targeted a hell of a lot. Um, yeah, I, I love this pick. Unfortunately, I agree with you. So, yeah, Mitch, you can come in and prove us wrong or agree. Or agree. So, our projections really don't like him at all. We have him coming <laughs> in at tight end 28. But the problem is, is I had Ryan Griffin on a lot of teams last year. And he mm. was fine for a backup tight end. He was actually really good to put in on spot weeks. But... the the biggest issue that I have with the Jets is I think they could easily be the worst team in the league. I mean, they could be so bad that their offense can't even be good and get garbage time points sort of thing. Yeah. You have Le'Veon Bell, who's going to get 50% share. You have Crowder, who's going to get 114 targets and probably get 500 yards you know, <laughs> off of that. And it's just really hard to project anyone on this offense doing anything. I was so high on Sam Darnold going into the year. I'm like, yeah. you know, he's really young. I think he's still 23. He might be 24 now. Still really young, but they could end up with the first pick in the draft. And you have a new coach coming in. Maybe they don't like Sam Darnold. Yeah. And like, as much as I like Chris Herndon and, you know, if you would have asked me this before I did the projections, I'd be like, yeah, I'm completely on board. But we only have him coming in with 44 receptions and 350 yards. And it's nothing based off of Chris Herndon's talent. It's just we think the offense is going to be that bad. I mean, before, before we come back with a response on that, I think it's just worth mentioning now, Mitch, in case you weren't aware, that your, your esteemed colleague, colleague, colleague John, projected that Sam Darnold will be a top 12 quarterback in 2020. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I think, Kev, we all agreed with him at the time. We both agreed with him at the time. I think the podcasting was around April or May. I've certainly changed my mind on that, and I think you've touched on it, Mitch. Obviously, if they have any sense, they will fire Adam Gase next year. And I cannot see Sam Darnold having a, a good season through no fault of his own again. So that's what, I think he was drafted in 2018. So that's going to be three, pretty much, even though not like most of it isn't his fault, that's going to be three poor seasons he's had. And the worry, as you said, Mitch, for a new coaching staff coming in is, does he get another chance? And I'm really concerned that he doesn't. And it's that new, new GM as well, like Joe Douglas. He's not got any ties to Darnold, so yeah. he might want to blow it up and get his own guy, Trevor Lawrence. If Trevor Lawrence is there and they've got the first pick, yeah. I mean, we could see a situation uh, like Josh Rosen, like, like Josh Rosen getting traded. Yeah, I mean, do you think Darnold will be? Do you either? Do you think Darnold will be picked up anywhere else? I, th I think he'll probably get. Thinking about, it, I think he, it might actually be better for him to get away from the Jets. I wonder whether any other team would would be willing to pull the trigger on him. 
You just know yeah. he's, going to, he's going to end up at the Jags, in it when oh, you right. When, right. When, when you have the third pick of the draft. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but like I completely agree. He has the talent. He's easily going to have a Jameis Winston season, or you know, backup job next year if he isn't the quarterback of the Jets. It's not like he's going to go away forever. Yeah. So he might get a little ding in value, but right now his value's bottoming out as well. Everyone yeah. else is seeing the same thing. Yeah. You know you could probably get him as quarterback 25, 26 in Dynasty Leagues. Yeah, I think that's around, around about where he's going. I mean, you mentioned Winston. It could end up in that sort of similar situation. And I mean, if I own Jameis Winston in a Dynasty League, I'm certainly not letting him go at this point. I, I think he will end up being a starting quarterback again in the NFL. I think he'll be given at least one more shot, potentially, as the, the Saints starting quarterback once Breeze retires. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you two guys, but I've, I'm not sold whatsoever on Taysom Hill as the, no matter what the Saints say, I don't believe that he's actually ever going to be the starting quarterback for the Saints. I think Pey- Peyton's such a switched on offensive guy that he's got to be, he's got to be a load of rubbish what he's, what he's trying to portray that Taysom Hill's the franchise QB. It's got to yeah. be some sort of in-house uh, joke or, or some sort <laughs> some sort, some sort of because we, we know that he's not going to be a, a franchise QB. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. So we've actually agreed on quite a few selections there, and even me and Kev have agreed. So they must have been excellent. So we're going to move. Fantastic on to projections. Thing. Yes, that's right. It's all uh, <laughs> So we're going to move on to the next section of the show, which is the guest questions. So potentially, uh, Mitch, you may have the pleasure of being the last guy that has to answer these, um, as in their current format. As obviously we're going to be moving to a more redraft focus in the upcoming shows over the next few months. But as this is our last Dynasty show, we're going to ask you the same questions we've asked all of our guests so far. We may even compare your answers to uh, to John. And see, <laughs> His are wrong. And Mine are right. We, yeah. we know this. <laughs> so you're the, you're the third guy from Dynasty Theory that's answering these questions. So we're going to go away and compare notes afterwards. So like uh, let's compare you to John and Dan. So... The first question we've got is one player that you would be willing to overpay for in Dynasty that you need on your team at all costs. And this is one guy that I'm actually doing it. I will draft him in every league. I will trade for him in every league. I will overpay for him in every league. And it's George Kittle. And it's the perfect guy to talk about after we talked about Hurston Higby. Mm-hmm. Like other tight ends, you have to talk yourself into them. Like yeah. even Mark Andrews, he has, you know, type 1 diabetes. Is he going to be able to be on the field for – 80% of snaps. Yeah. George Kittle, if he's healthy, he's on the field for 100% of snaps. They'd never take him off. He should easily be tied in one in most leagues. I know some people have Kelsey, but that age difference is just so huge to me yeah. that I want Kittle in every single league. So each week when someone looks at my lineup, they're like, oh, I have to go against George Kittle. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I feel, I mean, I I own George Kittle a few places now, but I think this is the first year where I've had him where – I've joined a few more dynasty leagues, but exactly what you just said is how I feel. If I look at my opponent's lineup and see George Kittle there, that's the thing I think is, oh God, I've got, you know, I'm facing up against George Kittle with Gerald Everett. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, George Kittle, great stat with Jimmy Garoppolo. Kev, would you agree with that? See that? Getting into oh, the best goal. I love it. Yeah, that's, um, it's... It's an underrated stack, actually, with Jimmy G. Um, in, in your tournament play, you don't necessarily see um, stacks like that. But, yeah, that's, I can get on board with that. 
So God, we've got to disagree on some of these at some point. So the next one then, Mitch, one player you're actively looking to acquire at the right price. So you wouldn't overpay for them, but you'd be willing to pay their current value. I'm pretty sure when we get to my sell, everyone hates that take. So when we get there, everyone's going to disagree with me. But so as far as the acquire goes, it's going to be Allen Robinson. And yes. he, he's a wide receiver one and no one ever talks about him. Mm -hmm. If I go into any league, you know, and he's my wide receiver one for the year, I'm completely happy with it. Yeah. And, you know, Nick Foles isn't a good quarterback, but he's the best quarterback Allen Robinson's going to play with probably since high school. So funny. Yeah, I mean, uh, this guy, it just balls out, Mitch. That's that's the mm -hmm. thing. Whoever his quarterback is, yeah, he just balls out. I mean, the fact that that the Jags uh, didn't re-sign Allen Robinson um, was practically it, it was just it just baffles me to this day. I can I know he had I think he had an injury at the start of the 2017 season, and then we didn't pay him at the end of that year. It was almost malpractice not to, not to re-sign him. It was ridiculous, and then we went out and overpaid. Um, I can't even remember the name of the idiot that we signed in, instead of him. Um, but it's certainly, but I, I totally agree with you on Alan Robinson. He's had terrible quarterbacks throughout his career. And he balled out with Mitchell Trubisky last year as well. And though obviously I agree with you that Nick Foles isn't a good quarterback, I think he certainly will help Alan Robinson, you know, vault right into that, into the mid, like mid wide, wide receiver one range this year. And he's, in redraft and dynasty, he's going nowhere near where he should be. He's falling way too far. Yeah, I've got him. I actually got him top ten in in my redraft yeah. rankings and dynasty as well. Um, he's always undervalued. He's he's coming into the best QB situation, like Mitch said, and um, he's, he's twenty six years old still. He's a he's a must buy asset if you can grab him. Um, he's someone you want to have everywhere, and his price is extremely reasonable for. For his, his previous, he's been a top eight wide receiver uh, twice in his career. So, yeah, yeah, I always mean, agree. If you, if you start your running, your redraft league running back heavy, Alan, like Mitch alluded to, Alan Robinson's a fantastic option to take as your wide receiver one. You can get him in like round three, potentially even round four, which is nuts. Yeah, and and I know we've spoke <laughs> about this uh, quite a bit on the pod today, but I was on uh, the Dynasty Island podcast a few weeks back and um, Robinson was my Dynasty Island pick which is a guy you want to have everywhere so out of all the players in Dynasty he's the one guy that I would actively look to get at the right price. Yeah yeah totally agree so oh I think we are going to disagree on the, the sell so Mitch one player you're actively looking to sell at the right price. So I cheated and I didn't really pick a player if I have to I'll say Mike Gusecki but if I don't have to pick a player in Dynasty, I want to trade all my 2021 first. And a big reason for that is I think we're really bad as owners in the first place selecting rookies. And now we're going to do it with a shortened college <laughs> season. I mean, scouts aren't going to be able to go and see the players play in person because there's not going to be anybody available, you know, to go in the stands. And if this – NFL season is shortened and say it's only 10 weeks, you spend a first to get an extra player and the person that you're playing against has your first, but now he has a you know, low, lower starting lineup because you took his good player from him. That moves you up that much higher. So I don't, for me, I don't see any reason why I want a 2021 first. 
except for the sole reason is everybody loves them. And so their value just climbs by the day. So that's like the only drawback I could see is people start really hyping up these 2021 first. But when it comes to the draft next May, I don't want any of them. Like if I don't make any picks in 2021 in all my dynasty leagues, I'm completely happy with that. Uh, well, I'm gonna have to. I'm just gonna throw my script out because I, you know I had a really good argument for why I disagreed with you, but you took it a different way than I expected. Um, the reason I would disagree, I'm gonna say it anyway. The reason I would, because I thought what you would say is obviously there's no college, there's no, potentially no college season in in 2020, which sort of potentially affects the top players that are coming out uh, in the 2021 draft, but. I don't think so from that perspective I am cheating a little bit myself here by not directly answering your argument but I have seen people say that they don't want the 2021 first based on the fact that you know a lot of players even if there is a college season a lot of the bigger players will sit out but for me players like Jamar Chase, Rondell Moore, Travis Etienne, Rashad Bateman, Chuba Hubbard and then obviously quarterbacks Trevor Lawrence, um, Justin Fields, potentially Trey Lance as well though obviously he hasn't seeing the level of competition you'd like to see for a first-round quarterback, but I still think he'll go in the first round. I don't think those sort of guys that are going to go in the first round are going to be affected at all by sitting out the 2020 season. Uh, 20, well, yeah, we, yeah, 2020 yeah, season. that one. <laughs> so, yeah, that one. So from that perspective, I still want 2021 first. But to be fair, that's I probably need a little bit more of self-awareness because the bit which I can't argue with on Mitch is that we're all terrible at picking these rookies. So so it doesn't matter what, whether they play or not. So Kev, this is one for you. I mean, I don't, I, I'm saying that I barely have any. 2021 picks already not through this but I've just blown them away trying to win now I think I've got one league where my team absolutely stinks and I've got four but apart from that I haven't got many so I'd be interested on on your thoughts on that yeah I think Mitch articulated it really well um when I read it yeah when I read it I was thinking (laughs) oh I'm gonna really disagree with this but a lot of the points he made was was spot on about we've got less information so it'll be more volatile yeah um what I would what I would say is I think that you can sell the twenty one picks, but I wouldn't do it just yet mm. because, um, like Mitch said, I think the value of those will go up, and when it gets to next year, even with even if there wasn't a college season, people tend to overvalue their ability to um, sort of make picks and understand the college prospects. And I think yeah. that it's that um, shiny new toy syndrome where um, you have people jumping at the bit to get these extra picks. I think I do agree with the theory, but probably not right now to do it. Um, the, the 21 class, I, I do think it's it's better than the 20 class for me. Um, oh, yeah, every, yeah. Every, every position but RB, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd just, I just say that it's probably not the time to sell now. I'd be more likely to acquire now and sell later. Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, Kev, this is... This has not been a great show because we've agreed way too much, but I would add on that, I think your argument was great, Mitch. It stumped me because I was all lined up to uh, <laughs> take it to you on that one and you totally changed the argument I was yeah. expecting. <laughs> uh, so the last one then. So we've got the one player you would be avoiding from buying in Dynasty. And I think yeah, this one might be a little bit controversial. All right. We'll see it when I'm done. We'll see if I could persuade you again. <laughs> but it's Kyler Murray. And, I mean, we've talked about the Cardinals offense pretty much this whole show on 
It's fast-paced. They have elite players. You know, it, they should score a lot of points. But the problem right now in Dynasty is Kyler Murray is going as quarterback three. Mm. That is his ceiling, right? We have Patrick Mahomes, who's quarterback one, who has put up quarterback one years. We have Lamar Jackson, who's quarterback two, who has put up quarterback one years. And every projection I see moving forward has those guys one and two. Yeah. And so to, to take Kyler Murray and just immediately put him at three above Dak, above Watson, because he had, you know, an okay rookie year, I just think it's absolutely crazy because what I see happening is it's the exact same thing we saw with Baker Mayfield last year. It's, hey, this guy had a really good year, so let's go and draft him in the first round. And then he has, you know, a mediocre year, and he immediately drops back down. Yeah. And I actually think Kyler's going to have a really good fantasy season. He's just not going to have quarterback three fantasy season. And so it's going to end up dropping his value back down to where it should be. I, I think I, I'm with you in terms of the argument you've made, to be honest, is that you're drafting him at his absolute ceiling. I mean, I, I made quite an emotional pick in a startup earlier this offseason where I took Kyler Murray as quarterback three because that's because I traded him away like a moron to Kevin and other league and I was upset about it for about three months. So I did take him over Dak, but immediately regretted it. Overall, I, I'm with you on your argument. I think Dak is the clear QB3. And so I'm interested on what, on what you think here, Mitch, before we move on to Kev's thoughts on mm -hmm. Kyler is, we, we obviously talk about Mahomes and Lamar. Is there any way, because obviously you think about Dak in that offense, um, that it's going to be extremely pass heavy, potentially one of the best offenses in the league in line. Obviously what we love for fantasy is that defense could be terrible as well. With people expecting some Lamar Jackson regression, is there any way, maybe, in, maybe not this year in the next two years, that Dak can jump into that top two? Or do you think that those top two of Mahomes and Lamar are going to be cemented there for the, for the near future? Just the way that everyone views. So I think I could personally have Dak as the second QB. But the problem is everybody wants what's called the Konami code, right? They yeah. want that rushing yeah. floor. So until Lamar Jackson doesn't give you that rushing floor, I think he's going to be quarterback too for everybody. Yeah. And, and if you don't have it, there's going to be someone in your league that will take him there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kev, Kyler Murray? Well, Mitch has done a fantastic job, hasn't he, on the, uh, yeah. on the NASA it's section. Sad to, it's sad to argue with anything he said. <laughs> <laughs> he's really brought the heat. Um, no, do you know what? I, I do tend to agree with him that he shouldn't be going as QB3. Yeah. Um. In in any format over Dak, to be honest, um, yeah. I think it is a little bit different from Baker in the sense that he's got that rush for. Yeah. So that's something that Baker didn't really have in his rookie season, um, and and the team is improving. Um. Whereas, I just think that the with the weapons that's been added, obviously Hopkins and um, everything's getting better around him. I do think he's. He's still top six for me um, in both redraft and dynasty, but yeah, not not number three. Oh, I'd be uh, I'd be agreeing with Mitch on this one. You've just completely stumped us, Mitch. We've got no, you know, he's, he's very <laughs> well done, sneakily, Mitch. he's very sneakily not, you know, he's teased his argument, but then so we've obviously gone one way, and then he's just obliterated us. So, <laughs> so if we move on to the next question again, this potentially might be a question that we keep going forward as we're going into redraft season. And to be fair, I was actually going to start to say that there was no point in this question anymore as Miles Sanders wins this every single week and we always uh -oh. agree. But we're still going to ask you, Mitch. I'm sure I know the answer 
is going to be the same, but um, they're obviously quite close in ADP. Who are you taking, Miles Sanders or Josh Jacobs? Well, it's good to know everybody else is wrong because the <laughs> answer is Josh Jacobs. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be honest. I've been on the Sanders train. I was taking Sanders above him. But going into the projections and looking at everything and looking more at how the teams view the running backs. You know, we talked about touchdown upside with David Montgomery. Josh Jacobs' touchdown upside is he could lead the league in touchdowns. I mean, that's in his range of outcomes. Range of My, outcomes yeah. Miles Sanders might get six. And I mean, that would be a smash year for him. But then with Sanders, you get the PPR points that you just won't get with Jacobs. So I went with Jacobs just because he could do, you know, he's not Derrick Henry, but that type of running back who might not get the PPR points, but who is just relevant every single week. So by week 16, when you're done and you look at it, he ends up being a top eight back. And it's not because he's scoring 30 points a week. It's just that he's getting 16 or 17 every single week for you. So that's why I went with Josh Jacobs. Uh, I've got nothing, Kev. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's too good with his debates. Go on, Kev. We both agree. You, you take Mitch down on, uh, on Josh Jacobs. And I'm I'll ready. Watch. I'll watch because I don't know what to say. I mean, the takedown is probably going to be uh, similar to like an arm tackle. Uh, it's <laughs> going to be ra- rather, uh, rather, rather poor. But um, yeah, it's Sanders for me. And but what? This- Go on. <laughs> so I was just going to. I jumped in then because I realised that I think it's the ceiling for Sanders that puts him ahead. And the for me and the the PPR stuff. But go on, Kev, you carry on. Obviously, we, we spoke about Sanders quite a bit, and we love him. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day about Jacobs, and it, what they did say was that if you're a round one running back and you have a, a sort of a top uh, an RB two season as a rookie, basically you you smash. Mm. So even though my selection is Sanders still. I can see why you would pick Jacobs in that sense because he's he is that round one rookie that's already proved it, and Sanders, yeah, he has got that ceiling. I would say over Jacobs in a potential free down role, but it is more of a projection I would say than Jacobs. I think it is a more of a risky play because we just haven't seen it for for long enough. But yeah, I'm still team Sanders. Yeah, I'm staying Team Sanders, but I've got nothing to add to the debate. I'll add one more thing on the (laughs) Jacobs side to see if I can just push you just a little bit. So with all the COVID stuff going on right now, offensive lines are going to have a really hard time communicating back and forth because they're just not going to have the repetition. Yeah, The Oakland Raiders already had a top five rushing offensive line last year. They're bringing back exactly the same offensive line moving forward. So we should already see them coming out week one with maybe the best offensive line in the league because they're not replacing anybody. Everybody's still really healthy. And they have Ruggs on the outside, so they're, they're never going to have eight men in the box if Ruggs is on the field. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Tyrell Williams on the other side. So there could be a lot of room opening up for Jacobs that he didn't even have last year. Just one, just one last thing. I would say uh, Mitch Sorensen for president. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to accept defeat because I've got nothing. <laughs> I just saw you put Jacobs on the sheet and thought, oh, great. And then, and then I've just got nothing again. I think, I think Jacobs in Dynasty is a good But to be fair, Kev, you touched on it. We do love Sanders and I'm still staying on Team Sanders. But it is 
what I will agree with you on and, and agree with Mitch, I think Sanders is the more risky pick of the two. Um, and it may be a little bit ceiling chasing and things like that. But from a floor perspective, I think Jacob's floor is higher than Sanders. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So we'll leave it there. We're not letting Mitch ruin us any more than he already has. So <laughs> we'll move on, Mitch, to your reputation. Just a reminder, as we said, that uh, John said that Sam Darnold would be a top 12 quarterback. Uh, which obviously, to be fair to him, as we said, we all agreed with that at the time. I think Dan said that... Uh, Amari Cooper. Uh, Amari Cooper, yeah. I'm not, I'm Shocking. Not, he, just, he just said Amari Cooper and then that was it. But we just, <laughs> we just assumed that he just loves the guy so much he couldn't add anything. So very interested to know what, what take you would gamble your reputation being on in 2020. Yeah, so I definitely want to go hot take with this because if I put it on Twitter, everyone would kill me. But it's... I. Th- there's a chance. My hot take is 2021 January, DeAndre Swift will be drafted in Dynasty above any other back that came out in 2020 class, including CEH, including Jonathan Taylor. I love that. Lo- yeah, I love that as well. It's that a fire. That yeah. is fire. Going through the 2019 college season, every single person had DeAndre Swift as the running back one. Yeah, I did. And then we get to the combine, and all of a sudden Jonathan Taylor runs fast. And we're like, nope, he's the best. And, you know, the CEH has an absolute smash spot there with the Chiefs. But that Lions offense can be really good as well. They have Galladay, Hawkinson, second season for a tight end should be better. They have Marvin Jones. Matthew Stafford was on the best pace of his career last year before the back injury. Carryon Johnson's Carryon Johnson. He's a good running back who can end up staying healthy. So what I could see happening with DeAndre Swift is they split touches through week six, week seven something happens to carry on to where he can't play, then all of a sudden DeAndre Swift just goes off and he carries teams to the fantasy playoffs. And that's kind of what you need for, it's like what everyone's expecting from Jonathan Taylor. They're expecting Mac to go down, Taylor takes off, but I'm expecting just more from Swift. Hoping more from Swift. Not not saying I'm expecting it to happen, but that's, that's my hot take. I think that's a really good hot take because, it, it, like you said, Kev, it's red hot. It's a red hot take, but it's one that could realistically happen as well. Um, I mean, me and Kev were discussing this class last year, well before even the end of the last NFL season. I think, I can't remember if you did, Kev. I know I had Swift as my RB1 um, right up until, potentially, Mitch probably called it right, right up until the combine. And don't get me wrong, I love Jonathan Taylor. Um, that's the only one in there that I suggest could still be drafted ahead of Swift, but everything else you've said, I totally agree with. Um, I think uh, Matt, FF Dynasty, one of, one of the, our fellow Astros said on Twitter over the weekend that he was done um, with the fading DeAndre Swift based on his landing spot, and I completely agree with that. The talent is enormous, and I know you said about Kerryon Johnson going down, which also is likely, uh, as he can't seem to say healthy, but I think DeAndre Swift could beat Kerryon Johnson outright by mid-season. Um, even if even if Kerryon Johnson doesn't suffer an injury, so if I can get Swift as my, in my flex spot, I think that is just ridiculous. I I totally agree with you. Um, I think he's going to smash down the stretch. So Kev, DeAndre Swift, are we all in agreement on the hot take, or at least on the theory behind it? Yeah, I think with, with Swift, um, I know I'm I'm more of a numbers guy, but watching the film, I thought he had the best film out of the running backs in the class. Not that that means a great deal because I think film grinders aren't the best at fantasy. Mm. Um, that's my hot take to any film grinders. Out. <laughs> I like it. Um, that's a straight shot jetpack, I think. 
<laughs> no, but um, like, like you said, that if you can get one of these top, um, like your Taylor, your Swift, uh, one of those rookies is, is your RB3 uh, for this season. Yeah. Um, that, that's perfect. And uh, another thing with Swift is he could potentially have um, a similar career to uh, another Georgia running back in Todd Gurley, where he sort of flashed as a rookie and was in a, a bit of a bad situation yeah. uh, with Jeff Fisher, which I'm comparing to. Matt Patricia, obviously that rhymes, so it must be true. Um, <laughs> uh, but then um, Jeff Fisher left and Gurley smashed. So even if uh, even if Swift does have a bad season this year, um, I can I, I wouldn't jump off that um, off the Swift train. Yeah, totally agree. I can't add anything to that. I think that that's one of our best top takes so far. I think that's a really well thought out theory as well. So that has brought us to the end of the show. Um, a really fantastic episode. Uh, Mitch, uh, I mean, you've been a phenomenal guest. Do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you and anything that you're involved in at the moment? Yeah, on Twitter, they could reach me at DinoMC. And then I'm on the Dynasty Theory podcast with my co-host, John Bauer and Dan Lamagna. And, you know, I just want to say thank you. I'm proud to be, you know, the last Dynasty guest on your show for this upcoming season. and. No, this is kind of when Dynasty kind of dies down a little bit in DFS and best ball pick up. And so I'm excited for that to go too. Yes, excellent. You can listen to me and Kev trying to play best ball on the next show. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to do a a best ball draft. But yeah, that has brought us to the end of the show. Kev, this this bit's always awkward. So um, I'm still going to do it and ask you what you're up to the rest of the day. Well, it, it dovetails really nicely what I've just been speaking about, Cos. I've got a bit of time now and I'm going to do a few more best balls, Cos. Yeah, you I'm going to go do a best ball now as well. You can do a fast draft in, <laughs> in, in 40, 45 minutes to an hour, so yeah, um, it's well worth it. It's fast-paced, 30 seconds a pick. Um, it's a little bit different to the, the dynasty clocks we used to for the yeah. four and eight hours, um, yeah. but it's uh, something to get you thinking on your feet and, um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it to anybody that's not tried it yet DraftKings best ball we should point out we're not sponsored by them but it is very good <laughs> yeah we're not receiving <laughs> any if, DraftKings, if DraftKings want to sponsor you us then be. great yeah yes, exactly. <laughs> let's hope we get Mitch in our best ball draft so he takes David Montgomery while we take the <laughs> <we> running backs <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that has brought us to the end of the show once again thanks to Mitch and you, as I said make sure you follow him on Twitter He's been a fantastic guest and we'll see you all soon. Cheers, Mitch. Ta-da.